Well, one of our goals at Jericho Ridge in 2015 in our ministry plan uh, that we've talked to you about is to continue to develop a deeper Bible reading culture here at Jericho Ridge. So part of that is to uh, read the Bible and engage with it outside of the context of a Sunday morning. So you'll notice in your info sheet there's a bookmark about our Project 345 plan uh, that a lot of people are doing here at Jericho, and we'd encourage you to jump in. Uh, It's another great jumping in point as we start the Book of Romans. Our group meets on Tuesdays at Starbucks. We've been just finishing off Acts. And one of the things that Acts, in the Book of Acts that we talked about was uh, the Apostle Paul and some of the things that came to our mind as we got to know him a little bit better in the Book of Acts. I mean, he's a guy who met Jesus and had his life transformed in a powerful, powerful way. So that came to our minds. He was a missionary. Uh, He was an author. He ended up writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit much of the New Testament. He was a fearless preacher. I mean, this guy was, he was amped up about stuff as you read through the book of Acts. He was a a church planter and pastor. He was a religious scholar. He was an industrious business person. He was an encouraging friend. Like we just talked about so many of the things that came to our mind when we thought of the Apostle Paul. But what about Paul as a fundraiser? Did you ever think about Paul as a fundraiser? In Acts, we read about uh, around the year AD 46, Paul delivers a gift to the church in Jerusalem. And it's a a situation that he comes across of famine in Jerusalem. And the situation is so dire when he visits them that he spends almost the next decade of his life as he travels around through the Mediterranean collecting resources for the church and the believers in Jerusalem. And so this is a huge investment of his time and his resources, individually, as a person, he's committed to this cause. And so what's fascinating to me is to read about how he goes about this role of fundraiser in his writings. Because it's profoundly helpful for you and for me, I think, to, as application when we think about our own responses. How do we respond when people ask us or talk to us about money? How do we decide when We've given enough. How do you even answer that question? When is enough enough? And how do you measure what it's like to be truly generous? And so let's pray as we look into God's word this morning. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its authority in our lives. We pray you would give us uh, ears to hear what it is you're saying to each one of us by your spirit. We pray that you give us uh, ears to hear what you are saying to us as a community of faith in this place, and you'd give us hearts that are inclined to obedience, Father, and not just to hear what it is that you're saying to us, but that we would act on it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, since uh, January of this year, as Pastor Keith mentioned, we've been going through a teaching series on Sunday mornings called The Genius of of generosity. And so if you've missed any of that, we've got copies of a book that, uh, at, the, at the Welcome Center. And make sure that you pick up that book and, and flip through it. There's a lot of content that has been taken outside of Sunday mornings and put in that book for you. And so it'll be a great read for you uh, if you haven't done that already. And we've been talking about what does it actually mean to be generous 
in our lives? What does it actually mean to be generous with our time? What does it mean to be generous with our financial resources? What does it mean to be generous with our stories about the gospel? We've talked about things like uh, hindrances to that. We've talked about debt. We've talked about having a generosity plan. We've talked about accountability with each other and then what it looks like to be held accountable for the things that God has entrusted to us. But for me, one big question still remains and that is, how do I know? How do I know if I'm actually being generous? How do you know if you are generous? What metrics would you use to answer that question? In our house, uh, we got some report cards this last week from school, right? Some of you are teachers, you write them. Some of you have students. And uh, the language of report cards is as follows. It was a little more direct when maybe uh, I was getting these marks. But these days they say, are you not yet meeting expectations? Are you approaching expectations? Are you meeting expectations or are you exceeding expectations? In the category of generosity, how do you know if you're meeting or not meeting expectations? What would you give yourself as a grade and how would you even know what that grade might be and what information would you use to make that assessment? Or maybe thinking about it another way, what excuses would you use that have kept you from being generous? And so you would say, well, I would just love to be generous, but these are the things that would keep me from it. I have a suspicion that if most of us were pushed on this, we would measure generosity probably by comparing ourselves to people around us. We would try and benchmark, right? We would find someone that we perceive to be a peer in some way, and we would think, okay, they're a teacher, maybe if I'm a teacher, they're a teacher in the same district as me. They've been taking teaching for about as long as I have, so experience-wise, salary-good-wise, okay, they might have as many cars as I have. They live in about the same neighborhood as I do. They have the same amount of kids. Okay, that's a good benchmark. And then we try and figure out, how generous are they? And then we might think, well, if I feel more generous than that person is, then we'd give ourselves a little pat on the back and say, I think I'm being generous. I, I feel okay about it. Another common metric that we might use to give ourselves a sense of generosity, this is around finances or time, would be to think about the size of the gift or gifts that we might do. So we might do things like look up the mean or the median amount that other Canadians give to charity, and we might think to ourselves, aha, I gave more than that. I feel good about myself. If you use a tax preparation software, you can even tweet about your giving, presumably as a way of inspiring others to give. I don't quite know. And similar to comparing yourselves to others, you might look at that number and then think, I'm being generous. I feel good about my generosity. Another metric you might rely on is your heart. Well, in my heart, I'm a generous person. I feel that I would be inclined to be generous. You might not have a big number there by other standards, but you might say, but you should know my heart. I'm a generous person. See, the challenge with each of these metrics, though, is that they're incomplete in some way as a measurement of generosity. And the passage we're going to look at today from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 explains why. 
and says why each of these doesn't quite work or paint the full picture when it comes to knowing if we're people who are generous. So take your Bibles or your phones and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So this is written by Paul, and it's written as a letter to a church in a fairly well-off city, the city of Corinth, and he's going to take two full chapters of real estate in the New Testament to talk to them about generosity, specifically as it relates to their giving towards the fundraising effort that he's been engaged in for their brothers and sisters who are experiencing economic challenges in Jerusalem. So Paul begins with a comparison, but I want you to pay attention to what he compares and what he does not compare as we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'll be reading uh, from the New Living Translation. Now I want you to know Dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. So he's going to let the Corinthian church know what's going on in another setting. They are being tested by many troubles and they are very poor, but they are also filled with an abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. And they did even more than we had hoped. For their very first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God had wanted them to do. So Paul writes his letter to the church in Corinth, and he wants to illustrate generous living by telling them what's going on in this setting, in the churches in Macedonia. And look at what he says about the churches in Macedonia. He says to them, he says about them rather, they are under extreme economic pressure. They are very poor. Like down to their last pennies kind of poor. They're being tested. The circumstances of their life are such that it's not going the way that they thought or anticipated. But even this has not impeded their ability to be generous. And here we see the first of three principles of generous living. And that is this, generosity is not a product of our circumstances. Generosity is a product of our attitudes. Generosity is not a product of our circumstances, it's a product of our attitudes. Because if you think about it, it can be quite easy for us to think about generosity or being generous from a position of surplus or affluence. But is it possible to overflow with generosity in the midst of poverty or want? Well, it is if we put our focus on the attitude that Paul praises the Macedonians for and not on the amount that they gave. And this is what Paul is saying, that the people in Macedonia, they wanted to do what God wanted. So their heart was in the right place. Their hearts were joyful. Their hearts were willing. Their hearts were eager. He talks about them begging him for the privilege of participating in this. And in verse 2 and 3, Paul says, their abundant joy that they had to participate with others who were in need, their brothers and their sisters whom they'd never met, it overflowed into rich generosity even in the midst of their impoverished circumstances. 
See, this is why when our team comes back from Guatemala, they're there right now. When they come back, they'll often tell stories about people in Guatemala who live in conditions that all of us would describe as abject poverty, and yet somehow they overflow with generosity to the people around them. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. They're willing to share with those around them, cheerfully, willingly, because generosity is not a product of the right set of circumstances. It's the product of a right heart. So here's the challenge for us. I don't know about you, but for me, I'll often say things like, you know, I would just love to be generous, but right now I'm just not in a circumstance that would allow me to be generous, so I'll be generous when my circumstance is different. You know what? That's just a lie that I tell myself. Well, I'll be generous with my time in my neighborhood once my kids are older. Or I'll, I'll be generous with my money once I have more of it to give away. I'll be generous with my pain and my problems when someone who has the exact same set of circumstances and that I can trust completely comes into my life. I'll be generous when, and you can fill in the blank. But you see, when we buy into that, we tell ourselves that generosity is a product of a different set of circumstances, not a different heart. The perfect set of circumstances will never arrive to be generous. And so we have to do battle with the lie, I will be generous when. Rich generosity can overflow even in the midst of extreme poverty because it's not circumstantial, it's attitudinal. But let's keep reading because there's a bit of a glitch that Paul has come up against in the attitude of the Corinthians that he's going to address in the next few verses. So look with me at 2 Corinthians 8, 6 to 11. So, Paul says, We have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us or for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Again, not an amount, but an attitude. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. So, Paul says, here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to actually begin doing it. Now, you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Paul says to them, almost like, again, a teacher writing a report card, you guys are awesome in so many things. Um, you exceed, you're exceeding expectations in the area of faith. That's great. You're exceeding expectations in speaking and teaching the gospel in verse 7, in knowledge of who God is, in your enthusiasm, your love for others. You're exceeding expectations in all of these things. And it's good. 
but there's an area that needs improvement, he says. I want to bring it to your attention because I want you to uh, be aware of it and I want you to act on it. He says that area of improvement is you don't finish what you start. Last year, our friend Titus, he first brought up this idea, Paul says, about giving to help the needs of others. And you were eager. You were so eager. In fact, you were the first people who wanted to do so. You were the first people who actually started doing so. But you're going to work on, want to work on your follow-through. Because they didn't complete what they started. They had great intentions to be generous in their heart. And it's here we see the second principle of generosity. Because generosity can't just be about our attitudes. It must involve action. See, Paul does compare their attitude to the attitude of others. They were equally passionate. Their heart was in the right place. They just never got around to execution to actually putting feet to their generous hearts. And so Paul pushes them on this. And he reminds them, listen, it's not just about a heart of generosity that Jesus expressed, but Jesus himself, he uses Jesus as an example for them in verse 9. Jesus took actions that demonstrated the rich generosity of God. Jesus, though he enjoyed the riches and privilege of heaven as an act of generosity towards you and me, like it talks about in Philippians 2, he willingly gave that up to come to earth. And so Paul holds that out as a model for them and says Jesus understood that generosity wasn't just feeling generous. You actually have to take actions to demonstrate that you are generous. And this is why during Lent, there's a tradition in the Christian church of giving things up, of identifying even in some small ways with the generosity of Jesus. And the rich generosity of Jesus, the generous grace, Paul says, of our Lord Jesus Christ demands a response. It demands a response not only in our hearts, but also, as Pastor Keith reminded us, with our lives and with all of our lives. And so if you're here today and you have never acted on or said yes to receiving the generous gift that God has offered of life in Jesus that begins today and goes on for eternity, I want you to come for prayer as we move into our time of response later on. Because Christianity is not merely about a change of attitude so that you become a nicer or better person. It's about a fundamental change of heart. Of responding in obedience to the generous grace that God demonstrated in Jesus to us. And so Paul reminds them of this. And he says, I am writing to you and writing to us as well. And he reminds them that so often we can start off great, but it's so easy to lose steam or lose traction or lose heart as we go through a process of wanting to be generous. It's like a New Year's resolution or trying to kick a habit. We start out with great intentions and then it just kind of peters off. 
And so Paul says to them, listen, I'm going to call you out for stalling out. You began really well on this, but what the heck happened? You got to put those intentions into action. And I don't know about you, but this is a good word for me because sometimes I have a tendency to talk a lot about doing things and good things and then to forget to actually do something about them. Generosity. Oh yeah, I'm going to be all about generosity in 2015. I'm going to be way more generous than I was in 2014. And then if you were to look at 2014 and 2015, they look surprisingly similar in generosity. I don't actually do anything differently. So that might be an area of challenge for you to say, all right, you know, we've been talking about generosity for a long time, but what am I actually doing about generosity? Maybe God wants to speak to you in some way about that today, and you can share that with how you're being challenged and growing in that next week at Communitas. Maybe for you, the challenge today is that it is time to stop talking about generosity, and you just need to do it. It's kind of like fitness, like Nike. Just do it. And the it doesn't have to be something big. Perhaps for you, the risk can be small. Maybe it's going deeper with people, and maybe you just need to get into a small group here at Jericho. Perhaps for you, you've been talking about, I just need to simplify my life, and you've been talking that way for years. You just need to get in a simplified group. Maybe looking at your calendar or your budget for giving, you've not taken any practical steps in that. Ultimately, generosity cannot be measured upon our intentions to be generous. It has to be measured on our actions. We have to do something about it. Let your eagerness, Paul says, be matched by your actual giving. And then he continues through verse 14 for the final principle of generous living in this text. Last half of verse 11, he says, Now I want you to give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean that your giving should make life easy for others and hard on yourselves. I only mean there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty, and you can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty, and they can share with you when you need it. In this way, all things will be equal, he says. See, Paul is reminding them about the third principle of generous living, and that is that it is not about the size of our gift, but about the size of the sacrifice. If you want to know how God measures generosity, that's how God measures generosity. Not by the size of our gift, but by the size of the sacrifice. You see, when it comes to generosity, the scripture leads us into territory that reminds us that we're not actually being generous until it costs us something. That's how you know that you're stepping into territory of generosity, is that decisions to be generous have impacted your lifestyle in some way. You have to say no to other things that you might otherwise have been able to say yes to. You would say things like, you know, it would be really nice to go away on that weekend, but my time is already committed to serving with youth here on the margins in Langley with Youth Unlimited. 
You might say things like, well, yeah, it would be great to buy that new TV that's on sale this week, but our finances are already invested in the work of what God is doing here in the church in Langley, so we're going to have to wait on that. You see, generosity isn't generosity until it pushes us into a realm of sacrifice. Sacrifice that Paul describes and gives some clarification on. So Paul says clearly, this generosity that I'm talking about is proportionately sacrificial. So in other words, he reminds them again, it's not about an amount. People will give in different ways, but it will cost them maybe the same in terms of sacrifice. So an example I can think of of this would be a, a widow who chooses to use some of her time and her money to make blankets for refugees through Mennonite Central Committee. And her level of sacrifice might actually be greater or the same as a wealthy person who, out of obligation, donates enough money to MCC to buy a 100 or a 1,000 blankets. See, it's proportional, proportionally sacrificial. It's got to touch each circumstance in a way that calls a same level or an approximately level of sacrifice out of us. And this is what Jesus was talking about. If you remember the story of the widow and the story where Jesus is sitting with his followers and watching people put money into the temple treasury box in Luke. And then along comes a widow and she puts in two small coins in the temple offering box called mites, the smallest currency units. And Jesus says about her gift, she put in more than all of the wealthy people that we just watched, put in lots and lots of change and big bills. Now, how is that possible that Jesus would say she put in more? What's well, about the sacrifice? It's not about the dollar amount. That statement about the widow is that the widow gave to the place where it hurt. It cost her something significant because of the size of her income and the preciousness of those coins to her and what it represented. She gave to the place where it put her at risk. It took her a place in her own economic circumstance where she had to trust God to provide for her needs. What would that size of sacrifice be for you? Because it is not about the size of the gift, it is about the size of the sacrifice. But Paul is clear in his teaching that generosity is not just about kind of, all right, I got to sacrifice something for Jesus, grit my teeth and give it away. Remember, it has to be rooted in the right attitude. And again, he reminds us in chapter 8, verse 12, it has to be marked by willingness and eagerness to give. So it's not about just gritting our teeth and digging deeper. And he's going to go on in chapter 9 to tell them, God doesn't like that kind of giving. God demands or requires us and loves it when a person gives cheerfully and willingly from an obedient heart. So do not give out of compulsion. Do not give in response to pressure. If you are not giving out of a willing heart, don't give. Paul is clear also that we are to give not only eagerly and willingly, but we are to give what we have, not what we don't. Because otherwise, what we can fall into is a trap where we then 
make a big promise and say to God, okay, God, I said I was going to give X number of dollars or whatever it was away in 2015, or I was going to volunteer X number this much time in 2015. So now, God, I need you to do something for me. I need you to uh, help my lottery ticket be the winning lottery ticket because then I can actually fulfill this promise that I made to be generous. Or I need you to clear my schedule, God, so that then I can actually volunteer all of this time. You see, that is not, that's giving from what you don't have, not from what you do have. That's why we talked about having a generosity plan. That's why we talked about debt as being a barrier to generosity so that you can give with uh, in intentionality, you can give with wisdom, you can give with both spontaneity and with strategy. I love the way that this verse is translated, uh, 8 verse 12, in the contemporary English version of the Bible. And that's our uh, Bible memory challenge verse for this week. And so you would have gotten an email uh, just before you came in this morning if you're part of the Bible Memory Challenge group and you want to be reminded of that. Uh, If you didn't, then you can go over to the Welcome Center and make sure you get signed up for that. So this week's Bible Memory Challenge is uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 12. It doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is how much you are willing to give from what you have. All right, let's say it all together with me. Ready? One, two, three. It doesn't matter how much you have. What matters is how much you are willing to give from what you have. See, Paul says, are you willing to sacrifice? Can't stay hypothetical. It has to actually get some traction for us. We have to put feet to this. So uh, we're going to do something fun this morning, and we're going to hear an update from Daryl and Jody Becker. So Daryl and Jody uh, are um, members of here at Jericho Ridge. They have been serving in Mazatlan in Mexico uh, for six months. They felt that God was prompting them to be generous by moving down there with their family and working with the Vineyard Church uh, there in Mazatlan. And so uh, they are continuing to follow along in obedience to that. And so I've asked them to talk a little bit about what that journey has looked like for them and also to give us a little bit of an update. So I'm going to see if Daryl can actually see you guys here. All right, there you go. All right, Ernie, maybe can you turn the lights on so we can do that? All right, let's see if this works. It worked this morning before you all came. So Daryl and I had a great chat already, but it'd be great if you guys could all hear and talk with them. I told them we were going to call at 22, so, I mean, we're right on time. We are also heavily dependent on not only the wireless here at the LEC, but also cell networks in Mexico. So this, this could work. We could see what happens. Hey, there we go. How you doing, guys? There you go. All right, we can hear you. Can you hear us? Let's say hi, everybody. Yeah, everything's good. All right, good. Well, hey, why don't you give us a little bit of an update on just, uh, I know this has been a busy week for you guys. So how's it been? What's going on down there? Uh, It's sunny. Um, It's been a good week. Um, We had uh, Jody's family in for 10 days and just finished that up late last week. Um, Some of you may have heard that their little daughter got quite sick when she was here. Um. But that ended well. She recovered really well. So um, pretty interesting experience. And how about proof of life for your kids? Can we see them? Are they around? One of them here. One of them. 
Hey, um. <laughs> hey, how's it going, Emily? You've, you've been uh, to church already this morning, yeah? Yes. Yeah, awesome. Yes. Good work. Hey, I want to say good work on the fundraising that you did with your bracelets. We were following along on that, so yeah. That was good. Awesome. Good work. Good for you. That's great. Hey, congrats on that. And um, you guys were doing a bit of a distribution this week too, yeah? Do you want to give us a, just a snapshot on that? Oh. Here, here's the other one. Hey, Hello? there's Ben. How you doing, dude? Good. You still skateboarding? Um, just a little bit. Yeah? Did you go to the distribution yesterday? The shoes. The shoes. Did you go to the oh, shoes? Yeah. yeah? What was the favorite part of that for you? Um, besides the food. He doesn't have a script for that. All right. I know. We didn't prep you for that, buddy. Awesome. Good to see you, Ben. He likes to play with the kids when he's at those, so. Totally. Here's a quick shot. Hold on. Yeah, that works. So, yeah, we literally got back yesterday afternoon. Um, It was great. There's about 90 kids there. Um, That particular colonia that we've kind of been paired with um, doesn't have many kids that are sponsored, so they haven't had shoes in a couple years. So this was a pretty big deal. So they were they were very thankful um, to to all of us. So that was really neat. So thanks to everyone who sponsored shoes. Yeah, you guys remember at Christmas time uh, with the gift guide. That was one of the items we were raising money for was to sponsor shoes for kids uh, in through this ministry in Mexico that they're connected with. And so uh, they, that was yesterday, and um, we've got Tyler and Lindsay are going to head down in a couple of weeks, and Daryl and Jody are going to be back in about eight weeks and give us kind of a full update on that, but yesterday was the big day, and so they wanted to make sure that they passed along uh, thanks to all of you guys who participated in that. And you can keep doing that if you want. Just let us know, and we'll make sure uh, that we can put you in touch with the right ways to be generous in that. Well, we're going to talk, today we've been talking, Daryl and Jody, about how generosity involves sacrifice. And so as, we were, as I was preparing and thinking about this, uh, your guys came to mind, because we talked a lot about this as you were getting ready to go. What were some of the things, just uh, as you were prepping to head down to Mexico, that you felt were areas of sacrifice for you before you left? Uh, it might be easier to start with a list of where we didn't sacrifice. Uh, because it, it seemed to be a lot, but, um, um, you know, we, we sold a lot of our possessions um, to raise money. Um, we put a lot, of, a lot of time in getting our house ready to rent. Um, and and just, just being able to give up and, you know, being able to rent your house out to strangers, you know, with all your furnishings in it. Um, like that was, at the time, was a huge sacrifice, even now with some... That in the rearview mirror, it's less of a, a deal than it was before. Um, we had to sacrifice both of our businesses, which are effectively paused. Um, and there's no guarantee that we can restart those the way they were when we get home. Um, you know, we had to we had to sacrifice kind of the typical Canadian way of the way we were doing things before. Um, 
you know, every, every cent that we had kind of has gone into this. And, um, and the obvious of uh, friends and family where there's, you know, people you're accustomed to seeing on a regular basis, even being at church, you kind of, you forget how much you notice that just that even casual interactions when you haven't had them for months. Yeah. So that's what you guys thought sacrifice was looking like uh, when you were prepping to go. How are you experiencing it now? Like what does sacrifice look like for you on the ground uh, these days? And in the midst of that, talk to us a little bit about generosity in the midst of sacrifice. Um, down here, it's what's what's changed is we have the we have the luxury of of um, a clean slate in terms of time, and and but we've really had to sacrifice a lot of time. That that what we're involved in takes top billing in our scheduling in the week. And then our personal time bends around that. So there's certain things that we can't necessarily do in a given week because of the demands here. Um, and that's a, that was a huge um, adjustment, um, although it feels right now that we're doing it. Uh, and we want to definitely want to bring that home, um, that, you know, that, our, that we don't necessarily take top billing all the time. Um, generosity down here, it's a very different culture. Um, there's... There's, um, like, the welfare system is different, that people who have more um, are expected to give more. So that looks like, you know, a guy who comes on the bus and plays his guitar for five minutes, and, you, you know, you throw in some coins. Um, Christmas Eve, there was a family with a bunch of young kids, and they're playing music walking up and down the streets. And it's just a given that everybody throws in coins to them. Um, and so that's, you know... Uh, maybe he's injured and can't work or whatever, but that's how that particular family survives. Um, even when you're getting groceries, you tip the um, the bag boys because that's how they get their salary. So it means a lot of preparedness, right? You have to anticipate that. So for us coming from Canada, where we were very much like debit credit card, don't even carry a bill of cash, this is a very much cash culture and change in particular. So that much to my annoyance, you always have to have change with you. <laughs> How, um, um, how have you guys been impacted by the generosity of others? Uh, how's it impacted your kids? What are things that you're learning about generosity? Um, especially for down here, our next door neighbors, uh, she's Mexican and he's American. So that was a really nice fit for when we first got here. And we got on the ground and we were basically in culture shock. And all the five senses were kind of just hitting us um, in an extreme way. So it was really nice to have a very welcoming family next door to be able to figure out how do I order, get my water and, and you know, knowing the language and figuring things out. So, and they're just such a tremendous, really beautiful family. So they have been so generous with us and they have a seven-year-old granddaughter and she plays with Ben all the time, which has been so amazing. So, um, so many people like that have uh, been in our community and We've just really felt very lucky to be on this street. Um, well, a good, a good take on that. When, when Maya got sick and we realized we had to take her to the hospital, I went next door and was like, mm-hmm. you know, asking, do we call an ambulance or whatever? He hopped up and grabbed his keys and was, they were gone. Like, so there, you, you watch, the community is very different. Um, they would have done that for a lot of people on the street. Um, so that's been really interesting to see firsthand. Um, 
And I think it was actually really hard for us to take that generosity because Daryl and I, as many of you know, are very stubborn. And, uh, and so we're kind of used to being the neighbors that can help. And so it was the reverse role of we were the neighbors that needed help those first few weeks. So that was definitely humbling and, and it was, it was really hard at first, but now we've, we've kind of just embraced it and it goes around. So what are some um, encouragements that you could give to us? How would you encourage people at Jericho to be sacrificially generous in our contexts here? I mean, that's a kind of tricky question because everybody's life is, is different. Um, but there are, there are some similarities. I'll, I'll talk quickly about kind of the process that we went through um, to kind of get to this point. Uh, one, of the, one of the first things is, was quieting ourselves, uh, our lifestyle. Um, in, in all the busyness, we, I couldn't hear if I was being asked to go sit next to that person or buy that person coffee or whatever. Um, and so it wasn't until we slowed ourselves down that we could hear it. Um, and so that's like, that was significant for us because now all of a sudden we're, you're, you're hearing it and you're being encouraged to act. And then, uh, every time you do that, it becomes easier to hear it and easier to act. Um, there was a, there was a time that we were at church and Emily was setting up her bands to sell and some people were setting up some baked goods. And I looked out the door and I saw this very poor guy picking through the garbage. And I just had this like, buy those and, and go to that guy. It was like super clear. I wouldn't have been able to hear that before. Um, and so that just comes from the discipline of, of keeping yourself quiet and learning to listen. Um, and I think I just um, want to encourage us as a church, and that's us included. Um, I think what God has been asking me lately, and especially as we re-entry into Langley, is that, you know, sacrifice more for God, for him in a different way. And I think... Um, I think putting ourselves back in positions where we can serve in other areas for him first within our calendar schedule, and then the things that I want to do or the work that I need to do will kind of bend around that, not the other way around. So I think that um, you know we'll need to be held, held accountable to that, and, and we'll need to encourage each other. So I just encourage whatever gifts and skills that God has given you to just really take some time to quiet yourself and, and ask God, what are those skills? What are those abilities that, that you have for God? And just go and use them. And I think sometimes we think that it has to be something big. Um, but, you know, God uses little children just like she's used Emily to, you know, raise um, money for the food programs here. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, whatever your um, skills and abilities are and your passions for God. I think it also, it also means kind of giving up the illusion that you're going to know everything. Um, we had, had no idea what we were... Well, we, I mean, we kind of anticipated what we were in store for, but we had... If we had waited until we had everything uh, checked off before we even started doing this, we'd still be with you guys waiting. Um, so knowing that you don't have all the answers and just jumping into it, um, those kinds of moments have been the most encouraging where you're, you feel like you're out on a limb, and that's kind of where God shows up and, and does things. Um, and even just like Jody said, not underestimating how big a small thing can be. Uh, we're out all the time with kids, and some of these kids have really dysfunctional parents. You hear the, the prayer requests that they leave, and a lot of it has to do with 
you know, praying that, you know, dad won't hit mom or dad won't take all the money and drink and, you know, um, and so some of them just, they latch onto you and, and, you know, just me being there and giving them my attention is more than, they don't want my money, they want my attention. Uh, or playing with them, Ben playing with the kids, I mean, they love it. Um, so they seem, it seems like such a tiny thing to come all the way down here to go play with kids, but it's huge, it's amazing. Yeah. So you guys, uh, we, I read your uh, blog post, Jody, and just thinking about, you know, you've got about eight weeks or so till you're back here in Langley. How can we be praying for you guys uh, over that course of time? And how can we, yeah, how can we continue to support you in this season? Yeah, well, I'll just say quickly, I, we can't believe it's only eight weeks left. I know November seemed very, very long, and now... It's bittersweet. We, we really want to come home, but we don't want to come home because um, our home is here and our home is also Langley. So, um, yeah, it's definitely bittersweet. So, um, yeah, even yeah. even Emily has gone from, you know, just so you know, mom and dad, this is the only time we're going to do something like this for this long to, yeah, I kind of don't want to leave. <laughs> so it's been interesting to see her go through that as as she's been kind of empowered that that, you know, all the kids back at Jericho getting behind her and sending her bands and there's more coming down. Um, found her role. Um, so that's, that's neat to see that happen at such a young age. Um, uh, specifically prayer request wise, we've, we've had a really healthy three months. Um, this past month has, we've seen a lot of stuff happen. Um, and so much so that you, you can stop ruling it out as, you know, coincidental. Um, but we really need health and strength and focus so that I can finish out the project that I'm on right now um, before we leave. Um, and we really, we really need kind of help transitioning back home. Um, like I said, we've we've given up or paused our way of of supporting ourselves, and we know that that we want to change what we do. Uh, that this experience has, has shown us you know, the model of generosity that we want to change how our, how our businesses are structured and how, how, what our time looks. Cause we definitely see being involved down here, um, on an ongoing basis, but, um, you know, and we had anticipated we could work on that here, but we'll have to do that when we get home. So uh, we're, we're, we're praying for work when we get home and or provision, whatever that looks like. Um, praying for the kids, uh, as they adjust back to life, and school, I mean, school is going to be a shock for them. <laughs> yeah. An hour of homeschooling compared to... Eight hours. They're going to be tired. Um, yeah. Um, and we're just, we're super thankful for how, you know, five different churches in a couple hours got behind and prayed for, for Maya and for her recovery. So that's encouraging to see that happen in the power of, of prayer and connectedness. Mm-hmm. Right on. Um, the last thing I would say is just wisdom for for learning how to tell our story um, in a way that's really encouraging um, and and not something that's out of reach because this is definitely a doable thing to do. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for sharing your story with us and sharing these uh, updates. So we'll uh, stay connected, obviously, uh, online and in other ways. But thank you guys for being with us this morning. You guys say goodbye. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Awesome. Well, so good to hear 
uh, from them and to know how we can pray uh, for them. And we're going to move into responding to God and maybe God has used something Daryl and Jody spoke uh, to really touch your heart and your life in some way. And I would just ask, what sacrifice is God asking you to make? might be little, uh, but it might be big, but it's probably going to take you outside your comfort zone. might be money, might be time, might be a stretching conversation, uh, might be just a risk that comes from opening up to another person, but it is going to cost you something. Make no mistake about that. And so I want you to spend time as we worship in song to ask God, what is that sacrifice that God is asking and inviting you to make? And it's likely that as soon as God brings something to your mind, you're going to say, I can't do that. That just is crazy. And so begin to ask yourself, what's holding you back from doing that thing that God is asking you to do?